everybody. Football Fact Check is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know, I tell you this all the time, and I hope you're listening because I wouldn't be one to jive you, that NFL ticket prices do tend to drop right before the game kicks off. Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans, including the man whose voice you're listening to right now, have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. For instance, you know, you had the family over, you ate the Thanksgiving, you're sick of the leftovers. You know what's a good way to spend your Sunday? If you happen to be in Charm City, why don't you head over and watch the Ravens take on those Niners. And uh, if you're not sure exactly what your view will be, don't worry about that because the in-app panoramic seat view shows you a photo of exactly what your view of the field's going to be. It's nice and easy. And uh, the app in general, nice and easy to use. Quick, easy, two-tap checkout. And it's not just the sporting events, also music, theater tickets. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. It's Game Time. Thanksgiving football fans welcome to football fact check here on the athletic this is our subscribers only show of course our second every week and of course a reminder you can go back and listen to the first podcast and you don't have to be exclusive about that you can share that with all your family and friends and if you disagreed with anything that we said then send it to your enemies as well because that one's free to the world to listen to you can download that episode each and every week the Monday show of Football Fact Check for free and it's a good way to dip your toe into those athletic waters which I think will pay great dividends to you as we move ever closer to the postseason this year and guess what pro football and uh, we'll be back before you know it and then in the in-between college basketball NBA you know what sports are anywho let's talk about pro football right now shall we here on the eve of Thanksgiving at the time of this recording again happy Thanksgiving hope you're on your way or to uh, family and friends or they're on their way to you for what figures to be a grand week 13 if you look through some of these games as we get down to it as playoff seedings and uh, whether or not your team is going to get one of those precious six seeds and even more precious, one of those top buys in either conference. Um, before we jump in on picking some of the primary games there, though, and by the way, quickly, hello to Gabe, hey. and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, you too. Zuri, Cam, Quincy, how are we all? We're ready to eat food. I still haven't recovered from the other day when Zuri, when we went around the wheel for our favorite Thanksgiving foods, Zuri picked cranberry, Gabe picked peas in butter. Actually, I agreed with Zuri, and then I had to take peas because other stuff came off I the board. I think we've heard more than enough. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine trying to, to stand up on behalf of uh, a cranberries when you, when you have mashed potatoes hey, and stuffing sometimes, and gravy. Sometimes a six seed wins a championship. It's not always the, uh, the top pick there. It's true, and you know what? That leads us neatly into a little exercise that we're going to undertake here. And it's not just here; it's not just us on this show. It's going on across the athletic as we speak, right, Gabe? What is this exactly regarding the decade that is soon to wrap up in pro football? So, a number of the shows uh, that cover football here at the Athletic are having a little fun. Uh, hosts are going to give their all-decade team 
you may not realize it, but we are about to end a decade officially just a few weeks from now. And so we're, we're categorizing the best players at each position over the past decade. So this is for the work done since 2010 until the end of 2019. Um, uh, work outside of that would not count towards that decade. You could get controversial and pick someone who had their prime earlier if you want, but it would be unwise. So we're going to go through it. And you're trying to put together a team that you think, you know, could be a, could be an all-timer out of guys from this decade. Well, it's funny because, yeah, I, I try not to, and it's not born strictly out of laziness. I like to do things in real time on the show rather than know exactly where I'm going to go and then just announce to you anticlimactically what I decided before we started the show. I'd rather figure it out with you, the listener. And this is the ideal relationship for me to imagine that you're saying something back while I do all the talking. And uh, but but the, the fellas here in El Segundo, California, will chime in as we build this thing together. And it's interesting because, yes, I did notice that the decade is almost a rap game. But also um, the NFL is doing its best roster, its best lineup for the hundredth year of pro football. If you've been watching that, I have not loved some of the decisions there. I get the spirit of it. Bill Belichick involved in building this. But. I don't know if you. Are. I, I. I. We always laugh at Cam and the young people not knowing references that are pretty straightforward to us, like who Led Zeppelin is and stuff like that. Um, literally, they don't know members of Led Zeppelin. That's yeah, it was shocking weird. to me. But anyhow, I. But point being, I guess I'm in that same position because Belichick and company announced on the uh, among the running backs that make the team, Dutch Clark. No. Who's Dutch Clark? I don't know. No idea. Who that I is. love football. I've watched football my whole life. Yeah, I consider myself to be pretty good historian on the game, but with this asterisk, I stop or I don't go much deeper. I'm aware of Sammy Baugh and Don Hudson and the numbers that they put up and everything, but I don't overly indulge that because as the curmudgeons will tell you, the 1958 NFL title game is considered the greatest game of all time. The game was a quality game, but more importantly, it made pro football relevant. When Johnny U vanquished the Giants in overtime in front of a national audience on TV, it raised the profile of the game. So then, by definition, everything that preceded that game should be given less weight than what followed it. And then in the 60s, that was marked by the AFL's emergence and it taking players from the NFL. And so you didn't have the best possible product out there. You had this rising force in the AFL against the the, the name brand NFL. And then in the second half of that decade, then the Super Bowl begins. And once the Super Bowl begins, there starts the true NFL modern era. So... Anyway, I, I, so I didn't love some of those. I think there should have been more stock put in that. But I'm not in control of that one. I'm in control of what we do here and now. So let's jump into it, shall we? And I think the easiest pick you could possibly make, in spite of it being a quarterback league, in spite of there being a lot of great candidates, how could you go anywhere other than Tom Brady as the quarterback of this decade when he has won every single Super Bowl played in this decade? Right? It, it he won every one of them? Way. Something like that? Well, I'll check on that. Again, check. again, check I want to caution but... you here. That, again, this is not a lifetime achievement. I'm not work. a lifetime in it. It's arguable. Well, first, it's not arguable that a few of those rings come before the beginning of this current decade. Got and it. it's also arguable that some of his best play occurred before the beginning of this decade. And you on previous shows have talked about how Tom Brady didn't look like Tom Brady any longer. And here we are. So 
I don't know. I think you could make an argument that you'd rather have Aaron, Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. Not and, Drew Brees. Well, okay. I mean, he's got a ring in that time. Aaron Rodgers certainly seems like, a, I think we're going to hear a few shows pick him over Tom Brady. I think that Drew Brees is one of the 12 best quarterbacks, one of the 10 best quarterbacks of the Super Bowl era. I also think he's, when you're talking, I'm not talking about, I understand, when you use about Hall of Fame level guys, that when you use underrated or overrated, people react weirdly to that. I'm not saying Drew Brees doesn't deserve to go to the Hall of Fame and isn't one of the best that we've seen do it. I think he's a scooch overrated, though, when people start putting him in their top four or five. That's a little bit heavy as far as I'm concerned. Now, Aaron Rodgers has been otherworldly. He, though, the last three seasons until 2019, things got a little sideways with him, a little sort of it took on a sense, and he's a victim of his own success to some degree, but Tom Brady wasn't victimized by the Patriots' success. And, in fact, he rose to that when it appeared that it might be over and here come the Seahawks and they are the gathering force of the NFL. After the Super Bowl forty-eight victory, they get back to that Super Bowl. We almost got Rodgers against Brady in that Super Bowl, and that would have been grand stuff. We didn't. Instead, we got Malcolm Butler intercepting Russell Wilson at the goal line, but that was preceded, of course, by Tom Brady going against the generation's best defense, down 10 points in the fourth quarter, and rallying them to victory. To me, that is the defining moment of Tom Brady's entire career, and that happened in this decade, and he came back and carried a team to the Super Bowl that came up short against the Eagles, but not by his hand. He didn't, his team, his offense didn't punt once in that game. The defense let them down, and he rallied the team back from 28-3, to and he's the reigning Super Bowl champ. This year has not been great for him. However, he happens to be on a team that has one loss at the time of this recording. And so in a sport where they hand out one trophy to the champ, and only one, they don't give out multiple Lombardi trophies at the end of the year. They only give out one. As long as they decide to not wrap up the season around New Year's and vote on who they think is the best and instead have a playoff tournament um, to determine who's best. When a guy who handles the ball on every single play is the guy who wins the Lombardi more than anyone else, then he's the best player at that position. And I know that's simple math for a lot of people, but it does matter when it is clearly the most difficult position in sports with the possible exception of goalie. But of course, the intellectual side of things and reading defenses and the speed with which you have to do that and make your decisions. It's hard to make a case for anything other than NFL quarterback, Tom Brady, has mastered the position, even into his 40s, done things that no one has done this late in their career. It's Tom Brady for me. Okay. We can but leave, I love Aaron Rodgers. No, we can leave it there. I think Tom Brady was the second best quarterback in two consecutive de uh, decades, and that makes him the best quarterback of all time. Please don't tell me Peyton was the best. He was, but we can go to running back uh, for the 2010s. You just want me to move along. And, no, but, no. But what you're really you doing is drawing me into an argument. No, no, no. I'm not doing that. Aaron Rodgers is the best I've ever seen do it. And what was it, 2011, I think, is his season? It's it's that and Dan Marino's 84 are the two best seasons in QB in history. 
Um, and Peyton had one that's in the conversation. And by the way, people don't like when I say this, but Cam Newton also had one in 2015 that's in the probably top five individual seasons by a quarterback we've ever seen. However, it's Tom Brady, and I got to stick with that. I'm, I'm, if you think about post Randy Moss, and yeah, then the greatest tight end of all time comes along and gets there. But still, Tom Brady, I mean, has basically made moot the fact that he has had mediocre to subpar offensive lines a lot of the time. He has carried some crummy rosters, two Super Bowls that they lost. The second one they lost to the Giants, the one they lost to the Eagles are two great examples of that. Those were not good NFL rosters, and they got to the Super Bowls uh, in those seasons. You mean Bill Belichick helped carry them, too. Fair, fair. But you know what? Inextricable at this point. We'll see in 2020 if they decide to part ways how they how they res- how they fare respectively. In the meantime, running back. Here's an interesting one. Now, you know what? I'm going to start with you, Gabe, so I don't uh, defy you. What do you mean? Well, who's your pick, friend? No one cares what my pick is. I like to hear your pushback. I but I'm going to start with your push, and then I'll come back. I th- I was surprised when I did a little research to discover that. I had to go with the person who had almost every year in the decade was good and a few were great. I don't love it. LaShawn McCoy. Aha! We did it! We did it! We're <laughs> yep. the same dancer. That's what I was looking okay, for. Okay, my man. It is Shady McCoy. You yeah. think off the top of your head. That's why you do. That's why I don't just completely fly blind. I look at it a little bit to make sure that I'm not going to say something completely wackadoo. Yep. Off the top of my head, I would have said, well, just on raw numbers and otherwise, it's got to be Adrian Peterson, right? Right. Incorrect. I no, mean, he's, yeah. he's missed, yeah. It's a few he's... bad years in there, and, and his best years were actually just ahead of the decade. So it it actually is probably shady. You could talk about Marshawn Lynch, maybe. He's pretty consistent in the early half of the decade, but not just not quite there. Yeah, the 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 real engine for as great as Russell Wilson was with that complimentary, uh, in complement to the great defense that they had. Yeah. Um, for stretches this decade, yeah, Marshawn Lynch was uh, was I mean, the other phenomenal. Shady is he a, a Hall of Famer though? Well, that's always a weird debate. I the other, I guess maybe let's see if they win a ring with Kansas City. If he plays a few more good years and wins a ring, that helps. Him. I don't know I, about a few more years the way he's looking. But he doesn't okay. look great. I would say the other reason to go with Shady is I think he typifies this decade in the the shift in what's expected of the position, hmm. right? So he's a better representative of the way running back will be played into the next decade when you look at who looks like the best guy out there now uh, in McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, similar. These guys catch, you know, Shady was catching 60, 70, 80 balls a year in his prime. That's what these guys are doing now. So I like him as a figurehead for the running back since we don't have somebody who's a, a sure hall of famer in Sh- that spot. Shady McCoy more rushing yards than Adrian Peterson and more rushing yards than Frank Gore in this decade and more receiving yards than Adrian Peterson and then Marshawn Lynch combined yeah. in this decade. Go. So yeah, that to your point. Yes and right there. I got I like my it. I got my stat in. All how right. many how many rushing yards short was Adrian Peterson of Shady? It within the decade? Yeah. Okay, so AAP right at 9350, Shady at 10369, about 1000 yards. Probably about 1000 yards. Yeah. And you know a season was taken away from him because of an ACL tear. In the subsequent year, he came back uh, less than a year after an ACL tear to rush for 2,000 yards. (laughs) If you're talking about a defining moment in any player, 
and their history of playing, it's that with Adrian Peterson. You look at the mediocre teams he was a part of. He was the team. Yeah, Shady McCoy was not the team when Kevin Cobb, Michael Vick, Donovan McNabb, whomever was under center for the Eagles, there was no real defining moment of his career outside of, hey, I'm going to hang the ball loosely to my hip and look cool with some you know, midfield jukes and deking out the defense. Also, when you go to YouTube and you look up the best runs of all time, you don't see halfbacks catch the football and run for a touchdown. You see Marshawn Lynch barreling over nine guys on his way to the end zone against the Saints. You see other guys in between the tackle, Barry Sanders eluding, deking, dunking, anything you want to say, in and out of traffic for a 60-yard touchdown. And then Adrian Peterson handing the football and putting it right in his breadbasket, let him run 90 yards and barrel over nine guys. Those are the highlight plays that we look for in halfbacks. And that's all indicative of what AP has done. I mean, within the decade. I think you're outlining that he had the best season within the decade, but not necessarily the best decade. Also, that's a relic, man. That's not how the game's played now. If you can't catch passes, you're not going to stay on the field. If you're not staying on the field, then you're not going to put numbers up. He was 1,000 yards short to LaShawn McCoy, though, in terms of rushing yards. Because he had a 2K season, yeah. Boy, I, as an Eagles fan, I wonder what axe you have to grind with old Shady There's, there's no axe like to grind. Do. He was a great second-round pick out of Pittsburgh, but there's not been a defining moment of his career. when you. And this is anecdotal, obviously, but you look at Adrian Peterson, he is... He is what you you think of when you think of running back. You don't think of pass catching little guys on the perimeter who's gonna you know skitter away for 30, 40, 50 yards at a time. You think about I'm gonna put the ball right We're not in this talking guy's about stomach. And We're run talking about Shady McCoy, 80, man. He's, 90 yards for the touchdown. He's a real and, sized uh, football player. I don't know what you're talking he's, he's about. He's not the six one, six two, two forty. Adrian I, Peterson. You know what? I that go, was this phys- physical specimen. You know what? I to argue your specific point about look and everything else. Shady is one of my favorite stylistic runners up there with mm-hmm. Billy Sims and and precious like few other names. Back, yeah. No, no, no. Just that no. wiggle, that uh, that dead foot okay. that he could put on you, and and uh, um, you know, two other names I'll throw out there, not anywhere close to the ones we're debating, but just to shout them out: Jamal Charles, um, multiple knee injuries. It probably leaves him coming up a little bit short of the Hall of Fame, and that's a shame because he was as dynamic and uh, a great a home run hitter at, at his best, and he also came back. Uh, from a knee injury that same year, and Adrian Peterson got all those headlines, but Jamal Charles had a dynamite year that same year. And another guy who is sort of a what-if kind of a guy is Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell got in his own way, but if you think about if he would have just stayed the course and stayed healthy and stayed in Pittsburgh behind that offensive line without any of the holdout or anything else, I wonder how we might consider him. Well, that segues us to wide receiver. That's exactly right, and I don't think there's much debate about Antonio Brown's place here as an all-decade guy. He is, for me, um, at, at worst, and I think, you know, at number three. I don't think I'd push him any higher than that. But I think he is the third best receiver of the Super Bowl era. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but look up the stats. Calvin Johnson or Marvin Harrison or Michael Irvin or Larry Fitzgerald or Steve Largent. In the conversation, T.O., fine, but only Jerry Rice and Randy Moss um were better in my book. And look at the six-year stretch of Antonio Brown. Generational inflation of numbers notwithstanding, there is not a run like that, a consistent level of dominance like that that I've ever seen. Michael Thomas is putting that together now. He's in the midst of it, but the decade ends a little too short for him to get consideration. And Julio, 
worthy of that consideration. I guess Calvin Johnson might fit into that for uh, for a lot of people. I'm going with the bonafide first ballot Hall of Famer. I mentioned him a second ago, also from Pitt, also inexplicably from a program that struggles to make bowl games every year despite having so many high-end all-pro level performers. It's Larry Fitzgerald, one of the five or six best wide receivers of the Super Bowl era. Wow. Okay. I mean, can we agree that if Calvin Johnson's career lines up just slightly differently, he's obviously the number one pick of this decade? Oh no, no, okay. no, no. What? No. I mean, I do not. It's only I do the, not sign off on that. Oh wow. Okay. Over either one of those guys, I'm not talking about specimen guy. Like, if we're talking specimen guy, then Julio Jones is number one specimen guy. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about on-field production. Calvin Johnson had a glorious, if surprise, when you look it up, kind of, he had a a really nice five-year stretch. I mean, really a dominant one. But he was a guy who was taken away week in and week out a little more regularly than Antonio Brown was. Larry Fitzgerald. Not a burner, even uh, you know, at the at the best, uh, even when the day one in the NFL was never a fast guy. But I think legitimately is in the conversation for the best hands you've ever seen at wide receiver, and the production is is hard to debate. I'm wondering what some of you fellas ha- think yeah. here, because there's a lot of sort of interchangeable guys, especially if, if you play fantasy football. For the last 10 years there's a bunch of guys here who are the late first early second round no-brainer pick for the whole decade right so your brandon marshall's your andre johnson's your demarius thomas's these guys who especially in like the ppr leagues they're just catching six or eight a game and a few touchdowns a year but they don't any of them feel as special as some of the guys you've chosen i guess odell beckham it comes along in the middle of the decade and will span into the next probably but he doesn't have enough work in this decade. I get, and the Calvin Johnson love is, but I have, I guess I, um, maybe it's a bias I've never lost that it's the same thing with Andrew Luck. Great, but they were anointed before they even took a snap. And I feel like they were able to ride on that in some lean stretches. Like, yeah, but everybody knows that this, that this guy's the most talented despite the and I'm not saying Calvin Johnson didn't put up great numbers I don't think that Calvin Johnson deserves to just be a ah, we don't even need to consider it he's obviously a hall of famer look at the numbers and and I think he does wind up in the hall of fame and ultimately I would vote for him I don't think that he's a, the 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 if if he did not have if he came in with the same question marks as almost any other wide receiver, not with the the kissed into, this guy has a chance to be the greatest wide receiver in pro football history, like Andrew Luck. This guy's the best prospect since, uh, since John Elway. If they didn't come in with that expectation and therefore with the media covering them, self-validating every step of the way, I don't know that Calvin Johnson, everybody would be singing songs about him as they are now. Okay, I mean... I'm not saying he's not an all-time great. I'm saying he's not as good as the two I gave you. I think it helps him, and and this will get us to the next guy, I bet. I think it helps him that, unlike a few of these other great players, Calvin Johnson has only ever seemed like a good guy. He went out on his terms. He sort of – he never lost the media love and fan love that a few of these other guys have lost at times. Like – Des Bryant, fair or otherwise, has just as much a claim to this as most of the guys we're talking about, but he pissed a lot of people off. 
Yeah, I don't know. You could make a case Calvin Johnson walking away and refusing to do this and that, and he left the Lions because of the state of the Lions and all that. I thought, well, I, I like, think we've cleared that up. Isn't it more to do with concussions? And didn't he just sort of say, "I don't, I don't need this"? Is Was that it? right? Maybe we should get a little, <laughs> a little more research no, done. Neither I, I'm, I'm doing this based on on my eyeballs. My, That's how I judge everything. Is with the, my eyeballs. I don't need the numbers to support it, but I will look at the numbers and say, okay, that's hard to defend. The numbers are are. Uh, beyond reproach, but well, short of that, I and I, I think the numbers support my guys, and then my eyeballs beyond that. The numbers support your guys. What I like about AB is he played ten playoff games. He's got fifty-one catches and four touchdowns in those games. A lot of these guys didn't have that much success in the playoffs. Also, Calvin Johnson, since this is an all-decade team, only played ninety games in the decade. For reference, Larry Fitzgerald played one hundred and fifty-three games. Demarius one hundred and forty. Antonio Brown, but, 131. But Larry Fitzgerald played 153 games in six decades. So, I mean, that's not... That, yeah, play. no, a lot of it is just uh, for being fortuitous of when you were born as far as picking these decade teams. But um, there's something to say about staying on the field. Um, and one, one other name I want to throw out is uh, DeAndre Hopkins. If DeAndre Hopkins came in the league a little earlier, I think he'd be in this conversation of like, oh, this guy is an all-time great at this decade. I- I kind of agree, but the name I said earlier, his contemporary, Michael Thomas, is the guy who's just in raw numbers, oh, yeah. is is, is uh, putting up a, a stretch that, if he keeps this up, is going to dwarf even Antonio Brown's, which in my book for six seasons is the greatest stretch we've ever seen from a pass catcher. Speaking of great pass catchers all time, the best tight end of all time, I don't understand really what people are attempting to debate when they want to talk about Tony Gonzalez or somebody like that against Rob Gronkowski do it all hammer blocker key to the New England running game and I mean you know as much as a pass catcher can be clutch Gronk was that he came up big in big spots I mean I I it doesn't matter in some on some level intellectually but also people who vote on these things are human beings and if you are a fan of the game and Lynn Swan's in the Hall of Fame because he made iconic catches on big stages. And that's hard to separate yourself from if you're a voter when you're evaluating Hall of Fame uh, candidacy and uh, candidacy and otherwise. To me, Gronk, the greatest moment for him is a, in late fourth quarter in uh, Denver against the Broncos, who ultimately won that game. On that fourth down play, that deep ball that Tom Brady throws with two Broncos raking it. Gronk's arms, and he wrangled that ball over the head catch. That, to me, is one of the great catches I've ever seen in my life, and I don't mean to boil down his Hall of Fame career to just that, dominant throughout, Um, but Gronk, best tight end I've ever seen, and it's really not that close, all due respect to Tony Gonzalez, and, I mean, far in the rearview mirror from those guys are names like Antonio Gates. Kellen Winslow actually probably deserves uh, more love in the top two or three there. But yes, Gronk, we're talking about this decade. Jimmy G in the decade, obviously Rob's number one, but I'm just floating another name out there. Yeah, he's, he's up there. Uh, for the Cowboys, it seems like it's been the story of the decade. Uh, feast or famine, good defense or bad, who the QB is, who's catching passes or who isn't. It's that offensive line. Jerry Jones deserves a lot of credit for that, I think, because I know he wanted to take Paxton Lynch, and I know he wanted to take Johnny Foot ball but he also took all those pieces on that offensive line and for a guy who has been painted as a guy who's an owner and owner should stay out of these things he did the wise thing and he built from the inside out especially on that offensive line and it's been a position of dominance for the vast majority and has made the Cowboys relevant more seasons than not in this decade again no matter who the QB or the other pieces or who the head coach is or otherwise it's uh, it's been a pretty consistently dominant unit 
There can't be any argument here. I mean, now, when, oh, de, now DeMarco Murray runs for 2,000. Oh, that's, and yeah, Ezekiel right. Elliott shows up, and he looks like the best running back around. That average quarterbacks have been talked about as Hall of Famers. That's a debatable point, but we'll move on. Cowboys line, easy. And by the way, anybody who, anybody, when people always uh, wring their hands, I guess if you're a fan of a team and your owner is uh, pounding the table for guys that aren't good and they insist on a guy starting or being drafted or otherwise, just rest assured, if I ever become a multi-billionaire and I buy a sports team, just understand that I'm going to be making a lot of decisions. Yeah, oh yeah. Why, the, the idea that you're allowed to buy a, a uh, two-bedroom apartment to live in and paint the walls what you want, but that you're not allowed to buy a $3 billion operation and then have any... You're just supposed to sit back and let other people do it and hire the experts. No! I bought this for fun. It's a sports team. I want you to draft this guy. Uh, uh, our scouts say that this other guy's going to be better. I know, but it, but I bought the team, and that's what I want. I think that's what we... I, uh, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And to, yeah. like, James Dolan of the Knicks, doesn't he operate in the same fashion, though, and he just doesn't win games? But he's a moron, and he's a jerk. <laughs> I won't be either one of those things. Okay. I'll, uh, listen, if it gets embarrassing, like, wow, you did it again, Dave. You're really getting in your own way. Then I'll start to take some counsel. Fair enough. Uh, to pace it up, D-line, I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks. I know there's some other candidates. I think that the primary reason, Nick Foles, nice story, Peterson, all that was great. But the reason that that Eagles team won the Super Bowl that year more than any other was that they had a deep and talented rotation up front that got to Tom Brady when a lot of other teams couldn't. And that's what really carried the day and what has made them relevant in this little mini era. But I'm going to take the Seahawks here because Averill and Michael Bennett wrecked and that was their get off at the height of that team's powers especially when you came into the clink it was almost a certainty you were going to lose because the combination of the 12s making all that noise and the offense being a tick slow and hearing the snap count and all that kind of stuff the get off of Bennett and Averill coming at you from both sides they would get a beat early they would get a jump there and it was in it was uh, unstoppable for the offensive line and um, they won that one Super Bowl they flat out intimidated Peyton Manning in that Broncos offense and they just about got it and I dare say for even though I cited Tom Brady's fourth quarter run there in Super Bowl 49 Cliff Averill doesn't get hurt in that game in the second half they do vanquish the Patriots and they win two straight and then we're talking about the Patriots in very different terms dynastic terms at that next I will uh, go linebacker Von Miller one of the great pass rushers of all time and I'm just going to go a little complimentary thing here I'm not going to take two edge rushers um, from a 3-4 defense instead I'm going to go with a middleman. I'm going to put Luke Keekley out there for the vast majority of this decade he is uh, one of the more consistent guys concussions and such notwithstanding barely beating out Bobby Wagner who falls prey to my um, disinterest in naming too many Seahawks from uh, from that defense. I don't want to. I don't. I want to give some other people some uh, some love there. So Luke Keekley um, on on some Panthers teams that have been really good and and defense first kind of teams. He's been the consistent figure um, for the bulk of the decade back there at cornerback. This is a tough call between three guys, but ultimately I'll go Darrell Revis, um, tailed off towards the back end of this but was you know and remains up there and I'll defer to the guys who who talk about the ability to travel I don't mean play within a scheme like Richard Sherman did and play on one side of a defense but actually follow the other team's best receiver all over the field and that's Darrell Revis even though he didn't do it for the entire decade 
And just nudging out Richard Sherman, I'm going to go with Patrick Peterson, who does or has done what uh, what I just described for you, actually taking the the top assignment and almost always coming out on top of that. At safety, I will go with um, – I could go Ed Reed and Troy Polamalu for the name brands. I think a lot of people would say those are the two best safeties in the history uh, or at least in the Super Bowl era. Troy Polamalu barely even made it into this decade, yeah, though. Yeah, doesn't feel right. And so instead, like I said, I don't want to put too many Seahawks on there. Sorry, Bobby Wagner, but congratulations, Earl Thomas. You do get in, and I'm going to put Ed Reed in. I know the win- the the window was kind of limited for him, but he is still one of the very best, and he still remained. He was one of the very best, still making big plays for that Super Bowl team. Um, at you know, I know that is long in the rearview mirror at this point, but uh, I, I just am not seeing anybody. I mean, Eric Weddle, possibly. But Cam Chancellor? Cam Chancellor, again, we're in 2019. When was the last time Cam Chancellor was relevant? You know, that's, uh, there are names you You we think could... a big, booming, hit-sticking safeties, though, you immediately think of Cam Chancellor, at least to me. Sure. I, I, I'm not going to argue against Cam Chancellor, except to say that what ails him is he didn't cover the decade either. So I'll go with the the guy a lot of people will float as the all-time greatest to ever play the position over him. And Eric Weddle um, has been mostly really great, but there have been a couple of seasons in, in this decade where people have raised some flags about, is he definitely? And then he bounces back. But yeah. I'm going Ed Reed there. And I guess that's it. We've gone through the whole thing. I, I, Bill Belichick obviously would be the right coach here. The kicker would be Justin Tucker. He's the best kicker in the history of football. So that goes without saying. And thus ends our all-decade team. Thanks to you, Gabe, for the help. And uh, and Zuri and Cam and Q, nothing. Q, you didn't even try to stand up for Calvin Johnson, though. I mean, he didn't get us a Super Bowl win, but he did play uh-huh. good while he was with us. All right. Say you said something not even really that nice, but nice <laughs> enough. Hey, let's blow through some picks here real quick and let everybody get to their uh, Thanksgiving plans here. But give me, Quincy, by your measure, the toughest games to call this week, and we'll, uh, we'll get out of here with that. All right. Who do you got between the 49ers at the Ravens? I'll take the Niners by a whisker in this one. I love that defense. I wonder how many big-time games. People, it's easy to play the cynic of a team or of a player who hasn't reached the peak of the mountain just yet, but they're tracking in that direction. But you still have the wiggle room of saying, I got to see it first. But how many times did the 2019 Niners need to win a big big game in a big spot uh, in a high-profile situation? The Browns came out to San Francisco and it was like, hey, both these young teams looking pretty good early in the season and what's going to be and Baker Mayfield and they need to get on track and maybe Odell can get off finally. But I don't know. The Niners are looking pretty good and the Niners smoked them. Then the next week, those Niners go down to Los Angeles. Oh, the division bully, the NFC champs. They're going to get theirs then. Now we'll see how good Jimmy G is in uh, in this road game. They they hammered that team. 20-7 to didn't tell the story of that uh, game. They dominated them they lose to the Seahawks but they were without the all pro tight end George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders and they lose in overtime because their kicker their backup kicker misses a field goal quit making excuses (laughs) that's the one loss they've had this year Jimmy G now if you saw him on Sunday night looked awfully good and the run game looked fine and the defense looked plum dominant once again against Aaron Rodgers for goodness sakes 
What more do we need to see here? And by the way, D Ford wasn't even in that game. If they're healthy with Nick Bosa and D Ford and the guys in between there, you know, let's see Lamar Jackson make his hay that way. I'm not being a skeptic of Lamar Jackson. I guess I am being a little, but that's an interesting test and to see what's going to win out there. I have a hunch that that defense will win out. Now, Jimmy G's ability to pass against what's perhaps the best secondary in the NFL in uh, in Baltimore, that's another question, but I will narrowly say it's going to be the Niners by two or three points. All right, the next thing we got is the Patriots at the Texans. What do you think? Patriots forever. Well, how many times do we need to see uh, Belichick against one of his disciples? Um, Deshaun Watson playing better than Tom Brady. The Patriots' defense, as good as it gets, though, right now. the As good as Deshaun Watson and New Hopkins and Carlos Hyde and everybody has been in stretches this year, people kind of also ignore that they've come up lame in some in some big games, it's too, this two year. Two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, you know, they're going against this great defense. You know right out of the gate that New Hopkins is probably not going to be very productive against uh, against Belichick's defense. You know that will be his priority to try and take him away. And if they do the thing that they often do, which is to put Gilmore, Gilmore might get Nuke, but if, but if they double Nuke and then – take uh, Gilmore and put him on the number two and they take away Will Fuller, really where does that offense go? It's the Patriots now. They got to scratch out points. But I don't think the Texans' defense is any great shakes. And by the way, again, where we started, Belichick over O'Brien and the rest of the world. Patriots win that one by seven. All right, next up, we got the Vikings at the Seahawks. What do you got? I will take – I want to take the Vikings here and same thing I just said about the Niners, I feel like Kirk Cousins is playing his way into that. How much How much longer can you stay cynical on Kirk Cousins when he has sort of vanquished those demons that people always point to? However, I'm going to take the Seahawks at home. If Jadavian Clowney is ready to go, I think that uh, he can, you know, though, the bad hip, they're getting their running game rolling a little bit. I, You know what? I'll take the Seahawks because it's in Seattle. I, boy, I really could see the Vikings winning that game though, with Dalvin Cook and everything. I'll take I'll take the Seahawks at home though. Russell Wilson continues his his uh, MVP campaign, and I say that they get that one by three. All right, as a Steelers fan, I gotta ask you: Browns at the Steelers? I'm taking the Steelers. I I, I and you know what? Is this one based in any logic, any objectivity? No, it's not. All I will say to you right now. As a Steelers fan, all I want at this point, I, this season doesn't end with a Super Bowl or anything like that. Duck Hodges, Mason Rudolph doesn't make a difference. What matters now is to knock the Browns back down and remind them that they are still the Cleveland Browns. And no matter what ails the Pittsburgh Steelers, at least they ain't from Ohio. Period. Steelers by 70. No, by <laughs> Steelers by, I'll give it to you, you know what? I'll give it to you by one point. That's what I'll give it to you by. All right, now here's my team, of course, the Bears at the Lions. Now just humor me and about? pick the Lions, please. Come on. I, You know, it's funny because I, I was uh, talking about this game with some other people. And, it, well, you're not going to pick the Lions. They just lost uh, the Skins. How could you pick them? Well, the pushback on that is, what do you think the Bears have done lately? The Bears uh, have been lousy themselves. They barely survived the uh, the Giants on Sunday. But yeah, I guess the they'll be able to go in there and keep themselves 
sort of afloat and continue to delude themselves and their fans that they have an outside shot at the playoffs, which they don't actually have. Uh, I guess the question coming out of this, Matt Patricia, good and safe for next year? I mean, he's really been worse than Jim Caldwell had him um, before Jim Caldwell was shown the door. Matt Patricia was based on the prospect of like, well, he's Belichick's guy. How many more guys are going to benefit from that association when there's zero evidence? I mean, Bill O'Brien is by far and away their most success is the most successful guy. And he's barely above 500 for his career as a head coach, barely above, I mean, like by a game or two. I think as soon as Patricia takes the pencil out of his ear, then we're going to know he's a fraud and uh, he'll no longer be a head coach in the league. If he shaves, if he ever (laughs) shaves, people are like, who's this guy? Get uh, get him out of the building. He's got a strong look, but go ahead, Quincy. Um, Yeah, go ahead there, Quincy. All right, next up, we got the Packers at the Giants. Ah, uh, we don't need that game. We'll take the Packers. Packers are going to roll them. I think we've expired all the all the relevant games here. I think, though, I just want to throw one out here. If you're still listening and a Cowboys fan and waiting to hear a pick on uh, the Thanksgiving game, I think the Cowboys are going to do it. All right? Like I say, Jason Garrett is the T-1000. He, no matter how fired he may seem, he always seems to get that team to rally, at least to save his job, not to make deep playoff runs. But it does seem like when it, it looks like, wow, he's gonna, he ain't going to make it, that's when they play well enough that you have to keep them. And I, I don't know that anything can repair that short of a Super Bowl win at this point, but I do think that the Cowboys at home on the big stage will take down Josh Allen and company. And that's it. And I'll take the Cowboys there by uh, six points. Cool. And that's it? Yeah. All right, listen. Zuri, Cam, Gabe, Q, I want you all to have happy Thanksgiving. So I want you to eat a lot of food. I want you to not argue too much about politics. Uh, with no your peas, people. though. And the most important thing is don't put too much weight on peas and cranberries. Save the space for the good stuff like stuffing and mashed potatoes and gravy and, of course, turkey. Enjoy it. We'll be back after the holiday and week 13 to break it all down for you, try and make some sense of it for you before week 14 arrives. Until then, for the gang here in El Segundo, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.